chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm, I'm doing my best to dig out things that I believe could help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. So uh, the first section we talked about was the Beatitudes, and I, I preached from the question, what are you being? There was nine attitudes that should also correlate with nine fruit of the Spirit. If you were not able to be here for that, there is a CD available as well as our Facebook archive. I would ask you if you miss any of this to please catch up so you'll know where we're at. But today we're going to begin with verse 13. Scripture says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If I were to have a subtitle today, Below Sermon on the Mount, I want to talk to us from the thought, you are the message. You are the message. Lord bless you as you're being seated. We often classify sermons as a preacher getting up and screaming and spitting and hollering and, and preaching. But if I, if I were to use my imagination in regards to this setting, I would actually call this the, the, a, a teaching, not a preaching, because I don't think Jesus screamed and got red-faced and did a lot of spitting and hollering. I think Jesus simply took his time and spoke emphatically and broke down this, this text so that all could hear. He was giving tremendous principles that if we're going to be who God's called us to be, we have to apply these principles to our life. Living for God is not about coming to church. It's about what happens outside of the church that makes us a Christian. Amen. Before Christ was taken up, in Acts chapter 1, he spoke to his disciples, verse number 8. He said, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. The power that he promised had a purpose. Remember, God always has a purpose. Here is the purpose. I'm going to give you the power. and Here's why I'm giving the power. So you can be witnesses. The whole purpose of salvation beyond spending eternity with Christ is so we can be a witness of his power to other people. The power was not just so we could feel good. I've got this down when I want to make a good point. They do the, they do the strobes for me. The power is not so you can shout at church. Power is not so you could have goosebumps, but the power is so you could be a witness of what Christ did in your life to someone else. The whole reason Christ gave his spirit 
was so we could exemplify to a lost and a dying world what he's able to do. In essence, the message was being transferred from paper to humans. You are the message. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you are the message. People will read you before they'll ever read this. My question today is when they look at you, what are they reading? What are they reading? If you're the message, which we are, then what message are we sending forth to other people? What message are there? Is my life a reflection of this book or is it a contradiction of this book? And I know that, that we're not perfect, okay? Nobody in here is perfect, and I don't think anybody claims to be. But I do believe we're all striving to exemplify and represent this book to the best of our ability. Nobody's perfect except Christ alone. Perfection is what we're trying to reach. It's a destination. Perfecting is the process we're all going through. That's why the Bible says he gave the fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints. We're all going through the process, trying to make it to heaven. Let me clarify something because sometimes we have a, a, a mix-up in our mind. Inviting someone to church is not witnessing. It's inviting someone to church. But what we'll do is we'll appease our conscience by inviting someone to church and say, I witness. Well, we have to ask ourselves what witnessing really is. And ye shall be witnesses. If, if you were standing on the side of the road and two vehicles collided, you would be labeled a witness. If cops came, which probably they would, there's a good chance that they would give you a witness statement and you would be asked to write down what you saw happen. You were a witness. So as a witness, you speak what you saw. With that, we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it, be, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So witnessing is speaking the things which ye have seen and heard. If, you, if God heals your body and you tell someone about it, you are speaking the things which you have seen and heard. If someone comes in here and God raises them out of a wheelchair and you go telling people about it, you are speaking the things which you have seen and heard. Inviting someone to church is a great thing. I think we should do it. But inviting someone to church is not the same as speaking the things which you have seen and heard. 
is what witnessing is. Telling someone, God can do this for you. I've seen him heal people's bodies. I've seen him forgive people of their sins and fill them with the Holy Ghost. That is what witnessing is. That's how the gospel was spread throughout centuries. The Bible says in Psalm 145 and 4, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Shall declare. What does that mean? It means they're going to speak the thing which they've seen and heard. How many's ever heard a grandmother or a grandfather tell you something about what God did in their life? Okay. How many's ever heard them tell stories about someone that you never met, someone older than them? Okay. Now, if we apply that to all of the kingdom of God, then you could go back generation after generation after generation, and that's how faith is transferred, is because one generation shall praise thy works to the next and declare thy mighty acts. That's how the gospel was spread around the world, is one generation would tell another generation, and this family member tells this family member, and this one tells a stranger, and then it goes around the world. That's why Scripture said, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. That was the beginning point. Then in Judea, that was like saying Catahoula Parish. And in Samaria, that's like saying the state of Louisiana. And under the uttermost parts of the earth, it'll go around the world. It was a prophetic word on the day in which we live. Because at the time that this word went forth, nobody even knew what the uttermost part of the earth was. They were living their life in just a little area. But God saw that there was going to be a day it would go around the world because people would be witnesses of God's power. With that being said, we then approach Matthew chapter 5, verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. The value of salt, especially in the ancient world, cannot be underestimated. Roman soldiers received their wages in salt. The Greeks considered salt to be divine. The Mosaic law required that all offerings presented by the Israelites contain salt. That's Leviticus 2 and 13. So when Jesus told his disciples that they were the salt of the earth, in verse 13 of Matthew 5, they understood the magnitude of the metaphor that Jesus was trying to give them. While the universal importance of salt is not as readily apparent in our world, the mandate that Jesus gave to his first disciples is still relevant and it's still applicable to the kingdom of God today. There are several uses for salt that I believe have spiritual applications. First thing, salt is generally used to change the taste of something. Some like a lot of salt. Some don't like much salt. But one thing is certain is salt does have the ability to change that which it's applied to. It does. 
As Christians, if we're the salt, we have the ability to change the atmosphere that we find ourselves in. Have you ever been around a group of people? Let me talk to the guys. Maybe someone is known for being foul-mouthed. But when you show up, they'll say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. You know what happens? The salt, which was you, changed the atmosphere that you found yourself in. Now, where you should be worried is when they're not saying, excuse me. Because it might be an indication that your salt is not what it once was. But we as Christians, we have the ability to alter the atmosphere. There are, there are people that I have watched throughout my life that had such a dynamic relationship with God that just when they walked in the room, everything changed. They didn't say a word, but their salt, their salt spoke volumes. They had the ability to alter the atmosphere. We have to make sure that we don't let the atmosphere change us. We change the atmosphere. The old cliche, you've probably heard it, you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. Either you can become the temperature of the room or you determine the temperature of the room. There's people that I know that they, I call them chameleon Christians. They adapt to whatever environment they're in. That's not what God called you to be. God called you to alter the atmosphere, to change the atmosphere by being salt. That's what being a witness is, is you don't have to say anything to change the atmosphere. You just be who God's called you to be. So salt changes the taste. Secondly, salt creates thirst. I heard a guy one time who worked a concession stand at a circus or carnival or whatever it was. He grew up as a kid doing it, and his dad would always tell him, son, make sure you put a lot of salt on that popcorn. Why, daddy? He said, because it'll get them thirsty, and they'll come back and buy more drinks from us. Salt creates thirst. That's why I'm careful about who I let salt my chips at Mexican restaurants. I like to put the salt. As Christians, as salt, we can't make someone come to God. This is not a bully club. You don't beat people up with this. But you know what we can do as salt? We can make them so thirsty for what we have. We can create a desire in them. How do you do that? You just be a witness. They'll look at you and say, something's different about I, I just, I got to talk to you. Something's different about you. You create a desire within them. You, you just get them so thirsty for what you have. You don't beat people up. You realize if you become a judge, then you're no more right than the person who's living out in the world. Okay? 
We're not called to judge people. We're called to love people. The love of Christ is what gets people to an altar, not judgmentalism. I, one time I decided to put on a, a baseball tournament, a softball tournament. It was my first and my last. I had a guy call me and he said, he said, uh, we want to come put a couple of teams in your tournament. I said, great, we'd love to have you. He said, now, I just got a few questions. I said, okay. He said, our guy's going to be out there looking a certain way, and he started going off on all these different things. And I said, well, look, we're going to try our best to keep it as, as close as we can. But I'm one person. I can't police however many people we have show up. All right, all right, all right. So they came of the tournament, and I just had a little feeling that this was going to be a problem. And I was on first base playing a game, and I saw these people unloading. And I knew exactly who it was. And I knew we was fixing to have fireworks. And so he marched over to me while I'm playing first base, and he's standing by the fence. I need to talk to you right now. I said, man, I'm in the middle of a game. I said, when I get done with, with this inning, I'll come talk to you. So when I got done with our inning, I went and grabbed my pastor. That way you could have a witness. And I went and found this guy. He was supposed to be the head coach. And we put, went off to the side. And he began to verbally spew his venom. I talked to you about this, blah, 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 blah. And I walk up here today, and I see people out here, and they got, they're looking this way, and he starts going off on these things, and we didn't have anything that was outrageous. I've seen outrageous. It wasn't outrageous. And I said, well, he said, those guys have never darkened the doors of a church. I said, well, sir, I'm not going to be a judge of anybody. He said, well, I am. And they're not right. Blah, 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 blah. He was ripping them apart based upon what he saw on the outside. Finally, my pastor, which you met my pastor. My pastor don't put no sugar on anything. He said, all right, y'all just get y'all stuff and y'all go. Didn't leave him an option. Now, what I, what I wanted to say, but I didn't want to spew venom like he was spewing venom, so I didn't say anything. It was this guy that was doing all of this hollering over somebody's length of their pants and and maybe they had four day growth instead of a three day growth was the same guy that ran up a big bill at my parents feed store and wouldn't pay never paid his bill and stiffed him on a bunch of money now you tell me which one is worse i tell you which one the issue of the heart is worse than the pants the the pant the length of the pants he was so busy pointing at the two-by-four or the, the, the little splinter in somebody else's eye, he had a two-by-four sticking out of his eye. You, gotta, you are the message. So you got to make sure that the message people are reading doesn't contradict this book. We're not called to judge. We're called to love. We're called to, there's only one judge. That's not me. It's the Lord. And, and, and he judges, his judgment will not contradict this book. But the Lord sees things that we don't see. 
Thirdly, salt was used to preserve food in those days. When Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he meant that all of his disciples were to serve as preservatives, stopping the moral decay in a sin-infected world. Those first disciples would have been intimately familiar with this function of salt because without refrigeration, the fish that they caught would quickly spoil and rot unless they packed that fish with salt. Once they salted it, the fish would be safely stored and then used whenever it was needed. The spiritual health and strength of the Christian is to counteract the corruption that is in the world. Christians as salt are to inhibit sin's power to destroy people's lives. This in turn creates opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed and received. I want you to think about this. Imagine what it's going to be like when the righteous are no longer on the earth. Because what's preserving our world right now from falling headlong in the sheer sin and chaos is the righteous, the church of the living God. We're the ones still praying. We're the ones still trying to vote according to the word of God. We're the ones still pleading for mercy for a world and for our leaders and for our governmental system. That's what salt does. It preserves righteousness in the earth. Now, during the seven years when the righteous are removed, then the, you're, the, the world is going to find out how valuable the righteous was in the earth. Because sin is going to run rampant. And, and, and it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we, we have to preserve righteousness. We don't have to be confrontational to preserve righteousness. Some people think that they have to be confrontational. That's not what you have to be. You can preserve righteousness without arguing. There's some people that want to argue for the sake of arguing. They don't want their mind changed. They just want to argue. Don't cast your pearl before swine. Some people don't want to change. They want to argue. But you can still, through prayer and through being an example, you can preserve righteousness. So this is what Jesus said. It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. If you study it out, salt that lost its savor or its ability to be useful, it couldn't even be fertilizer. So what the Romans did is they used that salt that was useless and they poured it on the roads to make roads. That's why it said, trodden under the foot of men is because it would be laid on a road. People that have lost their ability to be a witness usually end up letting everybody walk all over them. They don't stand for nothing. They let people with all their ideas and all their philosophies, they just walk all over them. That's not what you were called to be. God gave you the Holy Ghost for a reason. It was to be a witness. It was to affect your world. You don't know who you're affecting. There was a missionary. I'm not going to name his name in case somebody might be watching. There was a missionary years ago that went to Africa. And labored for years 
for years. And him and his wife only won one person the Lord. One person. He was so distraught that he felt like a failure. He felt like he had wasted his life that he took his own life and he committed suicide. The one person they won won hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord. You don't know who that one person is that you're affecting and who they'll touch and who their kids will touch. Even if you get to heaven and you say, Lord, I only won one person. You know what? One person made it to heaven. You can't put a price tag or a value on a soul. And you can do something. You can witness in your own way. Brother James can't witness like I can. I can't witness like he can. Brother Lloyd can't. We're not called to be the same. We're called to do the same, not be the same. That's where we start getting messed up, is we think if I can't do it like somebody else, then I'm not useful to the kingdom of God. That's not what God called you to be. You can do the same thing without being the same thing. You just find out how you can be useful in the kingdom of God, how you can touch people. Some people are intercessors. There is the, there's a season of intercession in prayer when God comes upon you, but then there's the gift of intercession that God gifts people with. Some people are gifted to be intercessors. Then there's people that they're, they don't meet a stranger. They can talk to a wall and have a great conversation. I've been eating with pastors before. And they were so smooth, and it's like it just flowed like like butter. It just was so smooth how they could connect with people. I, I'm better now. I got to the point when years ago, I would literally just begin to tremble on the inside at having to talk to somebody new. It just, I couldn't handle it. Now, once I, once I talked to them, I was good. I've literally sat whole conversations with people and never said anything. I know that's hard for some of you to believe, but I did it. But God had to help me overcome that. And I made up my mind that I was going to be the first one to introduce myself. I was going to be the first one to strike up a conversation. I'm not waiting on you. I'm going to do it first. God can help you be who he wants you to be. So then he draws the next illustration. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Many of the cities of Judea were placed on the summits or the sides of mountains and could be seen from afar. So it could be, I'm not saying it was, it could be that while Jesus was talking, he was pointing to these houses on the side of the hills, saying you're a city on the side of a hill. Everybody sees the eyes of the world, the actions that you make, that you, that you make everybody sees it. I'm going to tell you something. People may never admit it, but they're watching every move that you make. They may never tell you, but they're watching you. They're wanting to see how you act, and they're wanting to see how you react. Because when you're not looking, they're talking to people about you. And it could be good, and it could be bad. So you got to make sure that people... No. How many remember Brother Grantham that came and preached for us? I'm going to tell a little story on him. I'll ask his forgiveness later. He lived on the main road, right right too far, maybe about two or three miles from the, from the church in Westlake. 
And one day he was out trying to mow his grass with a little push mower. And he was the assistant, pastoral assistant, youth pastor, all that. And about every two or three steps, that lawnmower would die. And he just got so frustrated because he couldn't get that mower to work. And, and he needed to mow his grass. And he said, he said, man, I just lost it. Man, you know what, you're going to know what I'm talking about. He said, I had enough of it. It was hot. He said, I grabbed that lawnmower by both, with both hands, and I started swinging it through the yard. Slamming it against a tree. Wow. Wow. He said, I just had enough of it. He said, I threw the thing in the ground and I went inside. He said, a few days later, on Saturday morning, we were at church and it was outreach. We'd always pray and we would go do outreach. Precious lady from the church walked up to me and said, Brother Grantham, are you having a bad day mowing your yard? He looked at her and said, please tell me you didn't see me smashing my lawnmower. She said, yeah, I was driving by right when you were smashing it against the tree. People see even when you don't think they see. Now, for him, it was a lawnmower. It may be something else for you. But people watch. They watch everything. He goes on to say, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. In other words, what he's saying is when people light a candle, especially in that day because they didn't have electricity, they're lighting it because they need its usefulness. They don't light it and then go ahead and hurry up and bury it because then they would not get its usefulness. They light it and they put it on a candlestick so it could be used, its purpose could be achieved. You know what else I learned when you cover up a, when you cover up a candle? You cut off the oxygen supply, and it'll quickly, it'll go out. We're, we're one purpose, and that is to be a light to a dark world. And the darker the night, the brighter the light. You don't make the light brighter. The darkness will make the light shine brighter. And we're living in a dark time right now. I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I believe everybody here has got enough sense to know what's going on in the world. Everybody does. I've never got up in a pulpit and talked about politics, and I'm not fixing to start. You just be the light. And the darker the night gets, your light will shine brighter than it's ever shown before. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Everybody in here knows of the power of God. You know what God wants to do in your heart. You know what God wants to do in your life or can do. So if we are not witnesses, we're not hiding something from people in here. We're hiding it from people that need it the most. That's people out there. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. I firmly believe if you could see how many people in a 30-mile radius of this church are praying for God to change their life? It would blow your mind. If you knew of the people, I had a lady just last week maybe, on a Wednesday, I pulled into a place of business, and there was a lady standing there. And I've only talked to her maybe once or twice, just in passing. 
And she said, boy, when I saw you pull up, I thought to myself, it is Wednesday and I need to go to church. I said, well, I sure would love to have you. And then she began to just unload everything that she was going through. People are hurting. People are hungry. And I just sat there. I had a ton of stuff to do, but there was nothing at that time more important than listening to that person. I just let her talk, let her talk, and I told her that I knew how she could get the help, and, 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 and we wanted to see her, and it would be my honor. And I did everything I could to let her know that Jesus was everything she needed. I didn't see her, but you know what? She had opportunity, and I believe, I believe that I'll see her one day in this church. I really do. So if that one person is an example, how many more are in a 30-mile radius and all they're wanting is someone to connect them to Christ? It could be you. It could be you. So he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I read a quote from a guy. All he was was an elevator operator. He took the elevator up and down, up and down. And this is what he said. He said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And that's what our job is. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Because he's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter their baggage. It doesn't matter their past. It only matters about their future. The gospel is not something we come to church to hear. It's something we go from church to tell. Like I said, Christianity is not about what happens in a church. It's about what happens when you're outside of these walls on Monday and Thursday and Saturday. It's about being who Christ wants you to be in a dark world. Stand with me now as we conclude this lesson today. We're all called to be witnesses. We are the message. So the question I ask you again is what message are they reading? We've got to make sure that what they're reading in our life lines right up with this book right here. Will we mess up? Absolutely. That's, that's not an indication that you did something wrong. It's an indication that you're human and you're striving <coughs> for perfection. But to the best of our ability, we've got to be someone who represents Christ to a dark world. Amen. Let's conclude in prayer today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for every person today that's in this Sunday school class. Lord, we want to draw closer to you. These are the words that you told your disciples. These are the words that you spoke to your multitude. And Lord, it's these words that we take into our own heart. Lord, we want to affect our world. We want to change the climate of this world. Lord, we want to change our community and our jobs and our family. Let us be a witness of your love and your mercy. Let us represent you to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Greet one another as we begin to transition to our evening worship.